This is the Jesus Habit Podcast, where we're using scripture and science to make your new nature in Christ second nature. Episode 27 for Tuesday, October 7th, 2019. Big idea. The promise only becomes a reality for those who are diligent to the very end. Our weekly identity statement, I am moving beyond the elementary teachings of salvation and into the maturity of righteousness. And our memory verse, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Hebrews 4, 14-16 I have done, and am still doing, a lot of reading on culture. Not just the culture we live in, but on the culture of a group of people like our church. Someone has said that culture eats vision for lunch. I don't know who that was or even if you care, but it's important. Let me share with you a quick history of our church. Our family came to 6-8 Church in February of 2013. My first Sunday as interim pastor, there were about 45 people here. We quickly grew to the point in the fall where we were regularly pushing and even surpassing 100 in attendance. The next year, we were averaging in the upper 90s to the low 100s, and then some things changed. Our youth pastor left to take another job, and when he left, we lost a few families. Shortly after, our youth group dwindled. Then we'd lose a family here or there. Then we'd gain some excitement, build some momentum, and then someone would leave, and a couple of families would take advantage of the opportunity. Over the next several years, this trend continued. Now where we are as a church is pretty much right back where we started when I came, at least attendance-wise. More on that in a minute. About two years ago, I noticed some thinking that had crept into the mindset of our church. We were defeated. I was defeated. The core of our church has remained pretty much constant over the last six years, but that core has had to deal with quite a few people coming and going. When you're the one that's left in that situation, you start to ask questions. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with us? Why do people come and leave? Am I the problem? Is there something fundamentally wrong with our church? We spent a lot of time and had a lot of conversations about what was going on. Why did this seem to keep happening? Do you want to know what it is? As I have studied the climate of the church at large for the past few years, I discovered that the same thing was happening at churches all across the area and around the country. Church hopping and shopping had become the new normal, and people were staying at churches for shorter and shorter durations. As sad as that may be, and it's incredibly frustrating and heartbreaking, but that is for another episode, it was a relief. It turns out we weren't the problem. But that doesn't mean that faulty thinking didn't creep into the thinking of the people of our church. In fact, yesterday morning I had a conversation with someone who expressed that exact sentiment, that we had lost people and is something wrong. Have we lost people? Yes, but not a lot. And we have also gained people. And there are much more important things happening in our church than simple attendance numbers can report. What does any of this have to do with today's passage from Hebrews? Well, 
The author has just given an incredibly stern warning to his audience, but immediately following that, he says this, Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. That word the author uses triggers something in me, convinced. It means to be persuaded, to have confidence, convinced, past tense. The subtext of this section of the letter might read something like this. So, yes, I just gave you a stern warning. It was probably hard to hear and it wasn't easy to write. But the reason I gave you the warning was not to scare you or create insecurity in your faith. Rather, it was because I am convinced of better things in your case. I'm sure that you aren't going to be the people who turn away because your hope is anchored to Jesus. Convinced. Confident. Tony Dungy, the former head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, then the Indianapolis Colts, who was responsible for turning around the Tampa Bay team, said this about the team. When I arrived in Tampa, I began meeting with players who lived there, trying to understand from them what needed to be fixed. Although all the issues were relatively minor, they contributed to the team's second-class, defeatist, excuse-laden mentality. I began to sell the philosophy that we are responsible for what happens to us, not anyone or anything else. No excuses, no explanations. This is how we change the culture. The same is true in our church. Whatever issues there may have been and may still be in our church, and no church is perfect, every church has flaws, they are relatively minor. But because we have allowed the enemy to use the tactic of obsession against us, we had developed a defeatist mentality. Even though it wasn't true, we had developed the mindset of being defeated. I had it, others had it. And while some may still have it, we are coming out of it. The same is true for your life and relationship with God. Whatever issues may exist in your life that are keeping you from knowing God more, they are relatively minor. There are certainly issues in our lives. There are things we can point to and try to blame for our current condition. But the truth is, they are relatively minor. They may not seem like it, but in reality they are. Because Jesus has conquered the grave, there is nothing we will ever face that should worry or concern us. But we still give in to the defeatist mentality all the time. We give excuses all the time. We explain why we can't do this or that when it comes to our walk with God. We, we want to, we just can't, and here are the reasons. But notice where the author ends his thought today. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. We do not want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who, through faith and patience, inherit what has been promised. The author is convinced of better things, but gives the warning for a reason. This is the why behind the warning in verses 4 through 8. We want you to be diligent all the way to the very end. Don't ever give up. Don't, don't turn away. Don't stop pursuing Christ. We want you to experience the fulfillment of the hope you have at this moment, and the only way that happens is if you endure to the end. The promise only becomes a reality for those who are diligent until the end. So don't become lazy, but imitate those who had the faith to patiently endure life so that they could inherit the promise. In other words, just keep walking toward Christ. 
As long as you're walking toward Christ, drawing nearer and nearer to him, as long as you patiently endure in that, you will inherit the promise. Again, let me hypothesize some subtext. Don't give up like some have already done. All you have to do is be diligent until the end. All you have to do is cling to the promise and you'll enter God's rest. Don't be like those who have let go of that promise and have chosen to embrace other ideas. Don't be like those who gave in to the pressure of an unbelieving society and decided the cost was too high. The cost may be high to cling to the promise, but not nearly as high as the cost of letting go. So don't let go. Don't get lazy. Don't loosen your grip. Keep exercising your faith so that your grip on that promise stays strong. As a church, we are not defeated. Christ has promised that he will build his church. We are his church and can't be defeated. The gates of hell have nothing on this church. The only tool at their disposal is to get us distracted and obsessed with a lie that we are defeated. We aren't. We aren't defeated. We are stronger than we have ever been. The intense and dense core of the people of our church is ridiculously faithful, pursuing Jesus, and we see signs all around us on a daily basis that people are drawing near to God, and by being in His presence, they are being transformed. I am confident in what God is doing here. I am confident in the foundation that is being laid, and I am confident that what is already growing out of this stage of development we have been in will be nothing short of revolutionary. God is not even close to done with this church. In fact, he has only just begun. You as a believer are not defeated. In Christ, you can't be defeated. There is nothing the enemy has on you because the enemy has already been defeated. All we have to do is resist the devil and he will flee from us. Why? Because the power of Christ in us terrifies that weak, insolent, little piece of worthless garbage. The only power the enemy holds over you is the power you give him. Don't give him any power. Don't give him any power. Like the scene from Remember the Titans when the officials were trying to throw the game and Coach Yost says... I don't want them to gain another yard. You blitz all night. If they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm going to take every last one of you out. You make sure they remember forever the night they played the Titans. There will always be excuses. There will always be somewhere we can shift the blame. But we are responsible for our walk with Christ. No one else can do for you what only you can do for you. I can lead you to the water, but I can't make you drink. I want it so bad for you, but you have to want it for yourself. You are responsible for what happens to you, not anyone or anything else. No excuses, no explanations. The question is, do you want it? Can I play coach for just a minute? Don't let the enemy gain another inch in your life. You stand your ground, no excuses. You want to be like Christ? Then put in the effort. That's what you were made for, and the only one who can stop you from that is you. 
Keep your focus on the real hope. And when the enemy comes after you with his ideas to distract you and take your focus off of Jesus, let it serve to make you more resolved in your focus. Make sure he remembers forever the night he tried to pull your focus away from Christ. Beat him over the head so hard with the resurrection power of Christ that he remembers forever the night he tried to oppose one of God's kids. www.thejesushabit.com